I'm sure whoever it is will be a straight shooter. Janita, double stock my winning bar, please. 1019, thank you. Taco Bell, back in the saddle. Hey, Ned, get some honey on your stinger. I love it. <laughs> we got to talk. I said, you guys are pussies. Lemke could have died cornhole on a cripple kit for all I care. Not really, of course. You got a pube on your cheek, Timbo. Oh, Jesus, Ziegler. Uncool. Eating the canned tuna from the bottom shelf. I love it. <laughs> Timbo, have you tagged that yet? Because she's got to be as moist as a damp sponge. Ew. All right, listen. We look like a couple homos out here. Let's go in the room and discuss this like gentlemen over Bloody Mary's. I got tiger scratches on my back from 20 years in this business. Ziegler, Jesus, what the hell is this? Some kind of goddamn pajama party something? No, it's a circle jerk, Bill. Drop your pants and grab some lube. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? My fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 44, Cedar Rapids. So, <laughs> a little bit of a change up from your old pals here at the Greatest Moments Studios. In what sense? Well, you know, we're still, everyone's still kind of buzzing about that horror month that we had oh, yeah. for October and then we come out with a pretty grim episode of Game of Thrones followed by another grim movie. It's true. It was time to lighten things up a little bit. Yeah. We don't really we haven't really done a lot of comedic fare. No, they're tough to talk about. Yeah. What's there to say? <laughs> but this movie's a little bit different, uh, prob- you know, for a couple of reasons. Unheralded? Certainly. Okay. I think uh, I was just going over some box office numbers. Yeah. I saw that this had uh, pulled in like six eight million. million or something? Yeah, okay. Oh, all right, eight. I, th- I thought that's what I saw on Wikipedia, but... I was seeing six. All right. Point wow. something. That is actually shockingly low. I know this wasn't a huge movie, but I, I felt like by the time it uh, trickled out, to enough theaters that we went to see it. It felt like there was a decent crowd there that night. Yeah, I mean it has an eighty-six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Um, I don't. I couldn't. I didn't see any production cost on it though. No so budget listed. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and I mean it's like uh, it's it's a comedy, but I think there's you know there's some things we can sink our teeth into if we if we want to you know. Uh, quite a few recognizable faces in it. I would say. <laughs> I think it's like a decent cast for, you know, a movie with no budget listed that made eight million or you know six million dollars. Sure. All right. Uh, <laughs> Pretty good stuff. So I guess we should, you know, <clears throat> do our little housekeeping bit. Oh boy. Did you want to make a joke about how you never thought we'd get to forty-four episodes? Go ahead. What? Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. What? Just get on with it. <laughs> The joke or what? No, the house cleaning or whatever. <laughs> the house cleaning? <laughs> the wheels are coming off fast. Yeah, so, you know, if you've been as entertained as I think you have thus far by this episode, you will definitely want to follow us on Twitter, at Greatest Pod, which I don't even think I, I've tweeted from in well over a week at this point. So we'll get it going. I'll say this. We're not going to fill your timeline, no. that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a big positive. <laughs> yeah, and one thing that you know we sometimes point out, and I, I like to keep bringing up, even though it probably makes zero difference at all, um, we have a lot of great episodes that are no longer in our iTunes feed. One day we'd like to rectify that situation one way or another, but until then, 
greatestmoments.podbean.com for all 44 episodes. Yep. Uh, The show's got a lot of momentum right now, I would say, right? Yeah. Listeners really into the show. We're getting a lot of feedback, and uh, we're trying to, you know, build something big as we lead towards episode 50, that half-century mark. Yeah, and I think people would be mm, aghast (laughs) at some of the plans that we've been talking about recently. (laughs) Certainly stunned. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You think that would get us excited? Yeah. Plans <laughs> for things we want to do with yeah, the show right. in the coming months. Yeah, and uh, you know, obviously, we we would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review, and all that stuff. But the thing that really gets us going is just you know the personal listener feedback that we get yeah. from time to time. When someone just standing in front of you in line for coffee and they take their earbud out and look back and say, I'm listening to you right now. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, I wonder if they're talking about me and something I've done. If you've done anything, then yes, we are talking about you. Yes, Josh, I am talking about you. (laughs) (laughs) Or anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, we love it. Uh, Anyway, enough of that kind of... Oh. Also, okay. for fans of our, our other endeavors, there's been some talk about the band getting back together. <laughs> oh, boy. I'll cut that out. <laughs> um, no, leave it in. What, I mean, what difference yeah, does okay. it make? It all um, stays. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember exactly. This was during an intense period of movie going for me, so I can't remember what movie it was that I first saw a trailer for Cedar Rapids before. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. But I knew immediately. I was I could just tell you from the in. trailer. I was like this is going to be something I enjoy. Yeah. Um, do you think everyone's like familiar with this movie? Even I don't know. I mean, they it, haven't seen it. Obviously, uh, you know, people weren't rushing out to the theaters to see it based on those box office numbers. Yeah, it's um it's a uh, 2011 American comedy film directed by Miguel Arteta. Who directed Youth in Revolt Ooh. and a bunch of other Another, television uh, projects? Unheralded, great movie. Um, it stars Ed Helms, John C. Riley, Anne Heche, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Sigourney Weaver, amongst others. And it kind of—I don't—I'm looking through right now. Okay, yeah, I, I, my suspicions were correct. This was a—I <laughs> believe you had that one—a Sundance situation, right? And it had that feel, you know. There were. Uh, 2010, 2011, 2012, there seemed to be like a lot of these fun, slightly light Sundance movies kind of like pushing their way through a little bit that weren't like the overly dramatic, intense Uh, things like Winter's Bone or something, but more like a win-win or this movie. You know what I'm talking about? Right, yeah. Yeah, this one, you know, Ed Helms obviously known for, you know, The Office and um, The Hangover at this point. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. he was kind of a, a somewhat established yeah, comedic draw, I guess. I don't know. Not really a leading man. No. But I think that kind of plays to the character oh, absolutely. of Tim Lippy. Yeah. <laughs> the optimist, naive loser. <laughs> so this was like something that I was anticipating, you know, before it finally came out. It didn't take long after Sundance 2011. I think it was released a few weeks later. So I don't I don't know. This that doesn't seem like something that was necessarily up for sale at Sundance, but it made its debut there. Um I feel like this was a uh, MacGuffin's night for us. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, those were good times. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially that one summer. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Okay. You wrote a song about it, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, Tim Lippy is an insurance agent. What is in, it? Brown uh, Star or something? Yeah, which is kind of a funny name. Yeah. 
Um, not the I'm not most sure marketable. I'm not sure if it's a play on butthole or if it's just a <laughs> <Hopefully>, joke. <yeah. laughs> or if that's a real thing. I don't know. They don't really... I mean, it's... Um, I'm pretty sure they're in Wisconsin. Yes, correct. Um, and he's kind of a... Eh, he seems like a regular kind of guy, but like naive, idealistic. Right. Uh, not fully developed as an adult, it doesn't seem... Yeah, yeah, well, there's... Socially, there's definitely some... Well, I would say that there's, like, um, kind of this uh, contrasting, like, dual nature to his character because... That's true. Everything you're saying is correct, yet he's having this kind of bizarre sexual relationship with a former teacher played by Sigourney Weaver, who is, as we come to find out, like, recently divorced. Yeah. And they kind of have this, like... Uh, it's the, it's almost like a weekly kind of fuck sesh. I guess so. Yeah, they just ran they, into each other. It seems to be during the day. Well, yeah. I mean, but I mean, this but ain't they, no they specifically thing. say like they make it a point where Tim is like you know talking about they're making love like once a week, Ugh. and so it's odd that if if they're only you know doing it once a week that it's like a daytime. Very like unromantic, yeah, kind of ordeal, borderline gross, I would say. And it becomes pretty clear early on that Tim kind of is more into is it more than into she this, is, thinking that this is a more serious, long term thing than she is. Yeah, well, he's had thoughts for a long time, and she kind of uh, he reminisces back to the classroom days and she's like and he's like well what did you think back then and she was like well you were a child you were 12 yeah (laughs) um so he's kind of he kind of seems like a reliable worker a good employee but he's not like a star at his job necessarily his backstory is down the ladder a little bit his backstory is like really weird too we only kind of find out a little bit about it and it kind of plays out over time but he lost his parents in some accident or something, right? Yeah. But, like, kind of went to work for this insurance agency at, like, a young age, right? In some form? Possibly, yeah. I thought that that's... I don't think immediately upon his parents dying. No. But, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Was it... Did they? Does he say the I age? thought, um, what's-his-face from No Country for Old Men... Says something about that. Yeah, probably. Uh, Steven Root, who plays his boss. So, Tim is kind of like thrust into this situation that he's not quite prepared for. Um, Thomas Lennon plays this um, complicated uh, character named Roger Lemke, who is kind of like this cocky insurance salesman. Egotistical weirdo. Right. (laughs) Who dies of an in an auto erotic asphyxiation accident? Yeah, um, and of course Tim rationalizes this by by continuing to insist that it was <laughs> some freak weird accident, right? Because he idolizes uh, Lemke. Yeah, and he kind of there's kind of like this uh, undercurrent throughout the movie of like this uh, Christian morality being a part of being an insurance agent for some reason. <laughs> I think it's just living in the Midwest, but. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of odd because this is a fairly raunchy R-rated film, right? And but it, it's having to do with like wholesome people, supposedly. Yes, yeah. supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Roger was all set to go to the um yearly Cedar Rapids trip. Yeah, it's a yearly trip to Cedar Rapids for the like American. What does it stand Some for? Some award. It's, it's ASME is what yeah. they keep calling it. I don't know what it's what it stands for, though. I forget. And I guess let's really get into what this even is. It's a competition. They give presentation and the give presentations, and then whoever wins just gets some arbitrary award. Yeah, that they can use in their advertisements. It's called the the Two Diamonds Award. Right. And Roger has won it three years in a row, and now that he's dead, and uh, Bill Krogstaff, played by Stephen Root, who's yeah. the boss of the Brown title's Star been Insurance. vacated. He's like, 
uh, Tim, I need you to go do this. My daughter's getting married on on, on that weekend. <laughs> Tim suddenly has like all of this pressure to keep the company afloat. For some reason, they've won this award. There's kind of things in this movie that don't necessarily make a lot of sense because for some reason, they've won this award for three years in a row, and yet they're not really treated like royalty like a big time champion company or anything they're still like this little pathetic insurance company in the middle of nowhere wisconsin and if tim fucks this up and they don't win for the fourth year in a row then like everything's gonna go to shit yeah for some the stakes of this make zero sense i don't know how you could argue you could argue that krogstaff is kind of inflating the stakes because he senses the opportunity to sell to make a sale yeah and so he's kind of he he wants him to win again so that he can get you know a good sale price and all that stuff um you know which we'll find out later. although it's like there's no one better it lippy seems like an odd choice yeah i don't know i mean he just doesn't have to get a good introduction to all the yeah we didn't get to meet the other (laughs) yeah well it could be because we see him we do get a, a scene of him dealing with a young married couple that he's selling insurance to and they seem to like that's him a true. lot. So, I that's mean, true. That's true. Yeah. It could be judged solely on like, well, he's a pretty good salesman. He's well liked. Yeah. He's likable and he's easily controlled. True. Yeah. Which is a big factor, uh, obviously. Because Bill sends him to Cedar Rapids with what he describes as the ASMI Bible, which is basically a list of people to suck up to and a list of... <laughs> A list of one person to avoid. <laughs> Dean Ziegler from Stevens Point. Which, of course, he immediately does not avoid. Right. Well, the whole uh, trip to Cedar Rapids and his arrival at the hotel and like the, uh, the, the desk clerk at the hotel needing like a credit card to swipe for incidentals. And, like everything's kind of played for this comedic value because Tim right. Lippy's so inexperienced in life he's never it seems like he's never been on a plane yeah he's never been to a hotel like this which is i mean i I don't know many people that have there's a pool basically in the lobby it seems like well that's that's not uncommon i don't know (laughs) i think that never mind (laughs) um so you know and then when he first opens his uh hotel door he's face to face with Isaiah Whitlock Jr. playing Ron, the Ronimal. Uh, what's his? Is it Booth? Ron Booth? Or uh, Wilkes something? Uh, I think Wilkes. it's Wilkes, yeah. Wilkes Booth, that's what I was thinking. I guess. <laughs> the Ronimal. Yeah. Um, uh, Clay Davis from The Wire. Right. And he kind of he's on the phone at that point with Sigourney Weaver, and he's like freaking out because there's a black guy in his room. <laughs> and it, Which is like an insane. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's it's mildly offensive and racist, I guess, but it's also kind of just like you kind of get the impression that it's more that he just is so uh, sheltered. sheltered. Right. He, he's never he never has really experienced anything because it's not like he after the first even introduction. The idea that a sheltered person would just feel like afraid of black people is like so insane. Well, it was also partially the surprise of like he was going to use his key to open the door, and then the door just opens, and oh, there's a guy true. standing there. Yeah. And then the fact that the guy is black. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, because after like the initial uh, introduction between the two, it's not like there's any lingering distrust weirdness. Or right? Yeah, weirdness. that's true. It's yeah. kind of just like oh, it's all quickly right. uh, dissipated. Now, uh, one thing I want to talk about from the beginning of the movie before we get too much further. Uh, Lemke's funeral in one of the most insane things ever. He still has the imprint from like the belt around his <laughs> neck in his casket. <laughs> no attempt to cover it up. Yeah. And I guess due to the hotel overbooking a little bit, they've asked certain people to, if they would like to upgrade to a junior suite and take on a third roommate, Ronimal, who is always, you know, who's screaming like efficiency and right frugality and that kind of uh image he thinks like yeah the savings is great let's do it and of course the third roommate turns out to be the one person that tim lippy is supposed to avoid dean ziegler just a non-stop party machine 
I don't think enough can be said about John C. Rowley's performance in right. this. It's one of the funniest performances <laughs> in any movie for me. I mean, I, I'm just blown away by it. I've, I've watched this movie now probably ten times, and I think the first time I saw it in the theater, I was laughing like so hard at almost yeah. everything he says. The shit that he says is just insane, but it almost makes it funnier that he's supposed to be this like, again, the wholesome Midwestern thing. With his just like trying to be this over the top, like cocky, arrogant party dude, it's just like the contrast of the two are hilarious. I don't know if I, I mean, I have to push back a little bit here. I don't know if I would use the words cocky and arrogant. Er, the, I mean, I never, I never get the sense from Deansy that he is a bad guy. Yeah, that's true, I guess. I think, well, he likes the juxtaposition is, I think. He does the things that these um, uptight, uh, moral people find offensive true. and bad. Right. But, but he, he never... definitely is attention-seeking, I would say. Right, yeah. Loud. Abrasive. Obnoxious. Yes, okay. Ob- obnoxious, yes. yeah. All right, not arrogant, true. And I think, you know, and we'll, this is something, you know, that maybe will come up later, too, because as we, as we introduce Joan Ostrowski-Fox, a.k.a. O'Fox... That some of these people, they don't necessarily play by the rules that this insurance convention is trying to lay out on them. Because, like, morality and, um, I forget, fellowship with God or something. There's, like, there's, there's these different terms that DNZ kind of dismissively throws, throws out there that is, like, part of the deal with this Two Diamonds Award right. and blah, 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 blah. But, like... These particular characters that Tim Lippy gets involved with, they don't fit that mold, yet deep down they seem like pretty nice, good people. Now, obviously, there's a big issue with Joan Yes, that we can get to, but <laughs> in, in the context of just the movie itself, and you don't go past into like their actual real lives beyond this movie the if the characters were real then i think the idea is like yeah these are like good friends to have yeah right off the bat uh jones a party too <laughs> oh yeah okay so before he even meets any of these people though he meets brie oh uh, alia shawcat Alia Shawcat, who is Just a prostitute queen. working outside of the hotel. <laughs> uh, yeah, seems very out of place in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, in front of a hotel. I mean, just it seems like it would be an insanely easy operation to shut down. Now, I know we talked about this earlier. <laughs> <laughs> We're always not, talking about prostitutes. Not on the podcast and how like you know no one would really care. But it's just like, yeah, she's just working in front of the hotel. It's just And then using rooms within the hotel. Well, in all fairness, I think... And she's pulling multiple customers a day. <clears throat> I think that uh, if we were getting into like the hotel's stereotypical kind of things for like where prostitutes would be, I, I would say like an insurance convention would probably yeah. be like a big... Yeah, all right. That's a bit... <laughs> ...score for a prostitute. Because, I mean, we can't be too judgmental about cedar rapids i mean it's right. still a city with people in it so obviously there's going to be prostitutes <laughs> <laughs> just like anywhere else yeah i mean maybe so if she's a prostitute that lives in cedar rapids why wouldn't she go to this convention with a lot of out-of-town businessmen okay. on their own maybe uh under the, the nut under the guise of a massage therapist or something though uh, i don't think there's any guys pro- or anything <laughs> <laughs> um and they kind of have this weird interaction, and she finds him sweet, right? And it, it's a because he's bit, not getting it. <laughs> it's a little bit, yeah. It's a little unclear if she realizes how naive he is, but I think she kind of understands. Yeah, that he's just like oblivious, right? If not the first time, then certainly the second time when she's coming out of a room with a John and he's asking them, "Hey, what are you guys up to?" and all that <laughs> kind of stuff, and she's just like, "Huh." Um. The weird thing is, if this happened to me, like, uh, let's just say some semi-attractive chick started talking to me in front of a hotel and was, like, kind of putting the full court press on. Like, do you want a party? Yeah. I, I'm. 
I might not know what's going on. I would know something was wrong. <laughs> I mean, I would be like, what is, I was like, is there, is this like a hidden camera show? Is someone going to like jump out? And like, like, I would know someone was definitely off about it. And that like this chick didn't want to party with me. But I don't know. I've just, you know, I've never, <laughs> I, I just don't think it would cross my mind that that would be happening. I, I've got a little Tim Lippy in me. I think everybody does to a certain extent. <laughs> An idiot. <laughs> so I think like Tim is uh, initially overwhelmed yeah. by everything. There's a lot going on here right away. He's Because ultimately the ASMI convention is kind of just a uh, backdrop for what is essentially like a bizarre coming of weekend. age yeah. story for a guy who's you know, middle-aged, right? who's never had, like, certain life experiences. So it's, he's kind of, like, on a little bit of a senses overload, especially, you know, when he, he has kind of a, an, an, another kind of bizarre first meeting with a woman, and that would be Joan in the gym where she's, like, kind of uh, accusing him of, like, oh, yeah. checking her out you and being a perv and all this right. stuff. And it turns out she's Which, just by joking. the way, if that ever happened to me... You'd start crying. Oh, my God. My face would turn, like, beet red. <laughs> I would be, like, sweating. Wet your pants. I mean, I know they were right, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, I wanted to say, too, and this speaks to Tim's whole character thing, but, like, uh, when he does have one of his last in-person interactions with Sigourney Weaver... He gives her a promise ring, which is insane because he's like a 35-year-old dude. But it's like, was there ever a time in your life where you felt like a promise ring was something? I mean, that's not from our lifetimes, is it? I don't know. I mean, was there a 14-year-old Zach that could foresee a promise ring happening at any point? I, I just That was never a part of my life. I did give a ring oh, to a no. girl once, but <laughs> yeah, but it was an engagement <laughs> ring in a Wendy's parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> there was no ring involved. There. Uh, no, this was uh, just like a. Um, I <laughs> listen as long as you didn't use the word promise, it's okay. No, this was like a Valentine's Day gift. I don't remember. I was it was a long time ago. Okay, um, but no, promise rings. No, I mean it. I mean it all. It all speaks to you know what kind of person we're dealing with with right. Tim Lippy like he's obviously kind of a little strange mm-hmm. a little different um so after the little mid afternoon uh workout incident yeah so then you know he jo- he decides to join uh Dean Z and Ron happy hour at happy hour at Horizons which is like the right. hotel bar now Let's let's speak a little bit about this hotel. Like you said, it has the the pool kind of in the main lobby. The right. rooms are kind of around it, which yeah. is not that uncommon. I, I don't guess know I don't I know. Think. I've I've stayed at a, a you know probably thirty five hotels in my life that never has happened. Um, but I, I've definitely stayed in hotels like this. But anyway, um, it has a bar. Yes, and it also has a giant like uh reception room area because there's a a wedding reception later happening. Right. How many people are staying at oh, this hotel? Oh, this is a because, big weekend. Yeah. Because they're having this giant convention and then later there's a wedding happening there too. But also a bar, Horizons, which I think I just said. But then which also this wasn't there gym. already the, this discussion about doubling up on rooms and stuff too? Right. Yeah. So there was there's a a full, like, kind of a full size gym, and yeah. then all, oh, in addition to the gym, there's a full uh, shower area with locker like room. a million lockers. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little unrealistic right. how much is going on at this hotel, which looks pretty shitty from yeah. the outside. And yeah, that's the other thing. It's like we were when we're watching it after he works out, he uses the shower just fully nude. I mean, I know like whatever, I that happens, but it's like. Your room is right upstairs. You have your own personal shower. Why do you need to use the big open shower with other naked dudes? <laughs> Some people just got to be around other naked dudes. <laughs> well, that is clearly just to set up the funny scene 
between Tim Lippy and like the head of the ASMI, the dad from by, that '70s show. <laughs> yeah, played by the dad from that '70s show, uh, so that they can have this weird naked embrace. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, I know what you're saying. There's no, there's no reason to shower in the gym shower when your room is only a minute away. Yeah. I can't actually think of any scenario why someone would do that unless they shit all over themselves or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you sweat a little bit in the gym. You're still wearing your gym clothes. You can walk up one flight of steps. It's not like this giant complex. I know. Um, They actually filmed this movie in Ann Arbor, which... I saw that. I was just in over the summer. If I would have known that, could have stayed at could the have hotel. stayed at this location. Yeah, but had an after hours a uh, swim session. Could I would have like destroyed horizons. Oh yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Tim just ordering the biggest blue lemonade vodka drink. <laughs> <laughs> so Tim goes and meets up with uh, uh, Dean Z and Ronimal at uh, Horizons, and it just so happens that. These two from previous years also know Joan Ostrowski Fox, who is Anne Hayes, who is the woman from the gym from who was harassing him. And since they're all like veterans of the ASMI scene, it just, you know, they all happen to be friends already. And she kind of comes on a little too strong for Tim. And she's like, she's playing like grab ass. Yeah. Messing with him a little bit. And he's not ready yet. No, no. And that's what I mean when I was talking about the senses overload. He's a little... It's a little much for him at first. Right. But... There's no touching in a professional environment. It kind of quickly turns around, though, because... Plus, he takes it as an attack on his relationship. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) The part where he's like, I'm (laughs) (laughs) pre-engaged. And he takes out a picture of Sigourney Weaver and... Just like John C. Riley's like reaction to the picture and just everything he says, right? It's just so great. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too into trying to like recreate all the funny parts of the movie, but mm-hmm. the, that whole thing about the pre-engaged—it's <laughs> just so stupid. Uh. And the whole thing kind of turns around though that same night because yeah, uh, booze changes Tim Lippy's life. Well, no, no, because. T- he leaves. That's true. And then Dean Z comes back to the room and oh, he's yeah. like, we need to talk. And he tells him about a petition going around to take away Brown Star's oh, two Diamond Awards wait. because Lemke <laughs> was a freak. He comes back uh, and tells him they need to talk while Tim's in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, taking a shit. Just... <laughs> I just... His reactions during that scene is like, meet me in the stairwell in 10 minutes. <laughs> So this kind of, at first, which what an insane thing, a petition going around at this fucking presentation for an award. Yeah. And I think for insurance salesman at first, Tim is kind of reticent to trust Deansy because he's been warned by his boss to stay away from him. And he kind of confronts him with this story of like Deansy trying to poach customers away from Lemke and the whole thing. And Dean kind of comes across like... Uh, Genuine dude. He's like, I'm not a poacher, man. Yeah, and he's like, I wouldn't sign that petition. Yeah. <laughs> what a petition. I mean, the only thing less meaningful than this petition is if people started putting a petition to get this podcast off the air. <laughs> yeah, it's like, who cares? Yeah, no shit. Um, it's literally something that has zero effect on the universe. <laughs> so... Well, that's kind of like, I, I, I mean, I, I think that's kind of like the comedic element I of know. this is that, and it's, but it's also a real life. Well, true and thing. The, the politicking that goes on over like just meaningless things. But think about some of the things in your oh, life that people, yeah. I, I think once you enter the world right. this of is whatever a certain Whatever thing anything is. is, yeah, this just happens. Um, And let, I mean, and to be fair, I do think. There is some value in this award. There's gullible people in the world that oh, when yeah. they see a commercial and it says Two Diamonds Award winner, they and don't like, even know what that shit. means. 
Pick but, up the phone. <laughs> well, they think, well, this is the good insurance company. They have the special two diamonds. <laughs> like, why wouldn't I pick that? Yeah, exactly. And so Tim kind of develops real friendships um, with Dean and Ron and eventually Joan, too. And he kind of, you know, has a little bit of a crush on Joan. She's, and I will say this, She's Andrew pretty wily. amazing in this movie. Yeah. I mean... What did we say she was when this was filmed? Like 42? 42, something around there. Yeah. Oof. Looking great. Smoking little bod. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it is strange that she pretended to be a lesbian, though, for a long time. Um, <laughs> Joan Ostrensky Fox, is that what it is? Ostrowski Fox. Ostrowski Fox, Fox yeah. hyphenated. Right. Now, here's a big question. Big puzzle in my life. Does the hyphenated last name always mean that they're married? Or is there a situation where they could have a hyphenated last name and they're not married? Well, you know, I know in this movie, yeah, that I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so write in if you know the answer. to no, that. No, of course that doesn't necessarily. <laughs> there's no guarantees about anything. Okay, because there are weird situations potentially where I need to know someone that knows someone though. I need a firsthand experience with this <laughs> all right and so uh they participate in a uh scavenger hunt and that's kind of a a situation uh, i think deansy signs up by the way how horrible would this business trip be a scavenger hunt well when we were watching this this last time i was gonna like say like i would refuse to participate in this but like then i started thinking it's like well that's why you never have any fun <laughs> <laughs> it's like it it's so stupid, and the award is dumb. Although, what if you could be partnered with the chick? If there's a chick exactly. that looks like Anne Hesh there, all and you're and the she's like, oh, I need a partner. All of a sudden, you're pretty interested in the scavenger hunt, right? And that kind of plays into something I wanted to talk about. Uh, it's something that um, Jones' character brings up a couple of times about, like whatever. <laughs> You know, kind of a play on the Las Vegas thing. Whatever happens in Cedar Rapids stays in Cedar Rapids kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. And that's her motto. She says she only smokes in Cedar Rapids. Yep. Um, she has sex outside of her marriage in Cedar Rapids, which is kind of the big character question mark with her. It's like, does that ruin her character? Um, Joan's husband. <laughs> I feel for you, bud. I, I just, I do love the idea that Yes, these are like adults, but they're kind of put into this position that's uh, like a mini summer camp yeah. or something. Like and an I felt- unsupervised just trip where they're not uh, held down by any of their responsibilities or commitments. Yeah, I mean, basically they get to like hang out with friends that they see once a year. They get to drink and party in a hotel. Yeah. And for some of them, there's like a serious presentation to try to win the two diamonds. Although it seems like a lot of them aren't even doing that. Right, because it doesn't seem like Ziegler ever has any intentions of presenting <laughs> anything to try yeah. to win anything. And as far as he we can actually tell, hasn't been an insurance salesman for like ten years. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I mean, doesn't seem like Joan does a presentation or anything either. Ron and Tim do, but. I think some people are treating this as just like a, a vacation from their lives. And we kind of find out towards the end of the film that like Ron and Dean haven't really taken vacations in a long time. Yeah. And so this is like this is their one weekend out of the year to let loose a little bit. And in a weird way, I was thinking that this is kind of similar to the episodes we did on bug juice way you're gonna say similar to your own life i wish i (laughs) wish i had a cedar rapids in my life (laughs) you know with uh, with definitely like a few specific people invited (laughs) i'm not gonna get any more specific than that but you know what i'm saying like how the kids and bug juice it's like they get this chance to reinvent themselves a little bit away from whoever they are in high school or middle school or whatever they're in at the time right their regular lives and then kind of the same theory applies in cedar rapids except these are adults which kind of makes it all the more interesting because they're able to do a lot more they're obviously able to drink they're more uh sexually mature and all this stuff and 
they've already kind of gone down a path in their lives a certain you know a certain distance but this is their one opportunity to kind of pretend that that, that go back that's a not the bit. case right because there's the scene after Tim and Joan eventually win the scavenger hunt and then they get the Kiku gift card or whatever <laughs> for the Japanese restaurant and uh she's talking about her kids and her husband like, and she kind of oh makes the comment of like if I had the chance to do it all over again I don't know what I'd do but it mm. is what it is at this point right and well I'm sure your husband would like a chance to do it all <laughs> over again had he had full information as to what was going on on these fucking chance to Cedar Rapids <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to make any excuses for Joan's behavior. She was, we find out later, she had had a, a little bit of an affair with Roger Lemke. Which came to came to an end when she was asked to do certain things that she wasn't comfortable with. <laughs> and, you know, she eventually has sex with Tim on yeah. this trip. So she's a little bit of a whore, and I'm not going to make <laughs> any excuses. She's a married woman, but... I'd like to think that the idea being put forward here is that her and her husband have almost like an understanding that... Yeah, I mean, listen, if the part of the lifestyle, there's no bigger supporter than me, <laughs> you know, of the open marriage. <laughs> but I just think the... I just don't think any cheating should happen unless the husband is in the room. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> But, I mean, you know, we don't necessarily just have to focus on Joan. I think we get a little bit of Dean's backstory. He's gone through a recent divorce yeah, after a long marriage. Can, and he needs... The heartbreak is coming through. He needs a chance to cut loose. Ron <laughs> seems... Ass fucking hole. <laughs> Ron seems like he, he basically admits he's married to his job. He doesn't really do anything yep. besides work. So this is his chance to have a little fun with some wilder characters like... DNZ and uh, O Fox. Um, so I think, in a certain way, every character is getting something out of this weekend. Um, we're just seeing it through the eyes of a newbie, uh, Tim, who's getting the most out of this weekend because he's yeah, never had it's anything. overload for him. So they do the scavenger hunt. Uh, they come back. They do like a talent show where Tim sings. <laughs> they all get drunk. Oh, yeah. They crash a lesbian wedding. They get even drunker. They start partying into the pool. And clothes coming off. Clothes are coming off. Ron goes to bed, but uh, Joan and Tim start making out in the pool. Yep. And, and uh, apparently making enough noise to wake the uh, dad from that 70s show. Oren is who, his name. Uh, looks on in disappointment at, at Tim. Right, and Oren's a little bitch because he's basically a tattletale. He he's, he's just keeps ruining calling, everyone's weekend. He keeps calling Tim's boss, Krogstaff, and telling him, "Hey, he's palling around with Dean Ziegler. He's and, out partying and chasing married tail." <laughs> he yeah, it's funny. Uh, later, he calls her. Uh, Oren calls O'Fox a floozy. <laughs> <laughs> you succumb to the whatever of yeah, a floozy yeah. <laughs> so at this point tim has blown everything he's not going to get the two diamonds uh he's ruined every chance uh he's had because of his you know association with these characters and his behavior right. and blah 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 um until Warren is just like I, that's the thing for some reason he puts like i mean i guess it's because uh brown star or whatever has won this many times in a row or something but it's like he seemingly puts so much more pressure on on tim than anybody Oren, like he's really judging tim on all on everything that he does that weekend while everyone else seems to be just judged on their presentation well or right? was... ron's partying with these people well, Ron had gone to bed before he came out. That's true. Um, potentially, Oren's in a bad mood because with Roger's death, he's, he's no longer going to get the bribe right. for a brown star to get the two diamonds awards, which we find out from O'Fox after uh, she has sex with Tim and <laughs> Tim freaks out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because he's cheated on Sigourney Weaver. He's like, you need to call your husband. <laughs> 
I'll call my teacher girlfriend, who's a senior citizen. And this leads to a an early morning conversation with Dean Z, where Dean kind of gives him a little bit of a pep talk, saying like, "Hey, you're finding out how dark this place really is. <laughs> the underbelly. You know, you have to be prepared to uh, fight the tiger or dance with the tiger, <laughs> and." In order to dance with the tiger, this you're gonna is have the to level you got to operate at to get so, that award. With the news of how Roger won the two diamonds awards, and with this little talk with Dean Z, Tim goes into his one-on-one presentation with Oren, uh, and bribes uses a relatively small Which, amount of money to bribe. By the Oren. way, pretty much off the bat, Oren is like, "Oh yeah, you're not winning." Get like the fuck out yeah, of here. there's not much of a one-on-one presentation. Yeah, he's pissed at him for well something. Hey, it's basically being friends with Dean Z, who Krogstaff. It's very quick, and you have to be paying attention to exactly what's said right before Tim leaves for Cedar Rapids. But when he hands him that thing and he points and he says, this guy is the one you need to stay away from, Mm -hmm. he's Oren's sworn enemy. Oh, okay. So it's kind of implying that a Deansy-Oren feud has been going on for Mm -hmm. years. A blood feud. Now, it never comes across quite like that. It's Uh more of like Deansy just says stupid shit to Oren to like piss him off but right. it doesn't seem like super personal or anything but i guess you have to draw enough from that to be like well he's hanging out with this asshole who mm-hmm. who treats as me like a joke and he was making out with a topless married woman in the pool in front of god and everyone yeah and what he's not gonna and he's not gonna pay me this money because he's not roger lemke right so what's he offering here <clears throat> So he's prepared to give the two diamonds to someone else until Tim, you know, decides shows to the bribe. Teat. <laughs> it shows that teat. Um, this causes Tim to go on a downward spiral oh, yeah. very quickly. Bree, the prostitute from outside, sees him and in- invites him to a party, which is... That yeah, sounds pretty good. I guess supposed to be like out in the middle of nowhere in Iowa. Oh, okay, so we're really going to a party. Yeah, and it's a bad scene, I guess. Yeah, I've been to parties like this. (laughs) It looks very familiar. Tim smokes what he thinks is weed on the (laughs) way there, but is crack. Yes. And continues to smoke crack throughout the night. Really didn't see this movie going down this path. (laughs) And he kind of, he's having a hard time coming to grips with him prostituting himself in the way that he did and it's kind of this juxtaposition because he's hanging out with someone who prostitutes their body right um and now he's doing something that's actually much worse than that (laughs) smoking crack yeah and hanging around slippery slope with characters that i like uh seem shady and violent is it rob cordry right yeah uh him in this movie is like a, a badass douchebag is <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing. Yeah. Um and of course, you know, he eventually uh I think using Ron's phone, Dean Z calls him, they figure out where he is. Uh that's kind of a weird moment too. You have to be paying attention because mm-hmm. it's it, some of the some of the little like uh transitional lines of dialogue in this are very quick. So it's like, oh, Tim kind of just hurriedly says, like, oh, tell him how to get here. And he hands the phone to Bree. But it's almost like if you might miss that. And then you're like, well, how the fuck did they find this house? It doesn't seem we'll... like they'd be able to anyway. Right. It's so far out. I mean, yeah, it's just in the, it's just like a shack in the middle of a field. Somehow they find the house and they save him and bring him back. And it's a whole thing. And <laughs> it's at that point. Krogstaff, well, they eventually get back to the hotel. Krogstaff shows up. Oren tipped him off. They're going to win the two diamonds because Tim has paid Oren the money. And as a result of this, Krogstaff So everyone knows before it's announced who's going to win, right? It, because... I don't know if there's, Well, okay, Oren tips the one dude up, but then the other guy's uh, Michael Malley's going to buy. 
Well, Krogstaff told him, I guess. I guess it was, I mean, I guess people, the word starts to leak out Uh because of them doing this or whatever, maybe. But um, yeah, Mike O'Malley plays this other insurance guy who's just kind of a non factor, really, for most of the movie. Right. Um, He's going to buy Brownstar now because they're the four time. He's going to buy them and then close the local shop that uh, Tim works in, which. It kind of seems like is their only shop. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not really <laughs> sure what we don't know the scope buying. of the business. Yeah, I guess theoretically, if he buys their insurance company, he, he can gets claim all their that clients. he's four time two diamonds. A yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's wouldn't it be a lot cheaper just to offer a slightly larger bribe to Orn? Yeah, I mean the bribe that Tim is giving Orn is fifteen hundred dollars, yeah. which doesn't seem like. A lot of money, no, really, for this kind of thing where there's like potentially Apparently with this much prestige involved. Well, yeah, and I mean, there's when they do the final like meeting, and there's like all the people who are at the convention are in that room. There's a lot of people there, so I mean, if there's that many people in competition for something, you would think the yeah. amount you'd have to pay to win would be higher because other people might be in on it. Like he's only. He's going to just accept this first bribe from one outfit here? Right. Yeah, I mean, I no one know. else has made an attempt here even over the past few years. Someone so, wasn't like, oh, I'm sick of this Roger Lemke dude winning. Let me just offer a bribe and see where that goes. I, it just seems <laughs> insane. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of an odd thing when you really try to like break it down. So, but, uh, but the catch, too, is like he's going to close that shop but he's like don't worry i got you a gig working wherever right michael malley's shop is right so he'd have to move out of his hometown which he's clearly lived in his whole life yes feels very connected to um but he feel you know obviously he feels betrayed by this because the people that he works with are probably gonna lose their jobs um there's not going to be that one-on-one connection with the people that he's dealt with and sold insurance to, because that's kind of a big thing with him. So with the help of Ronimal and Deansy and Joan, yeah, they start going through his Rolodex of clients or whatever. Yeah. They're calling them at like two, three, four in the morning and (laughs) and convincing them. But they're all immediately like, Oh, Tim Lippy. Yeah. I'll do anything for him. Yeah. Basically there's a little montage of that and he gets all of his clients together, decides to expose Oren the sale to Mike O'Malley doesn't go through. Yeah. You greedy fraud that accepted fifteen hundred dollars, <laughs> which doesn't even cover you know your expenses for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, so Mike O'Malley is no longer interested in buying Brown Star. Krogstaff is pissed. He wants to fire Tim Lippy because of this, but Lippy's like, "Hey, I'm going out on my own. I've got you know commitments from right. all of my it's a Jerry Maguire type uh, moment." Yeah. Um. And that's pretty much that. Yeah. So this first Ask Me convention... Huge success for Tim. (laughs) It was a roller coaster of emotions. He went from scared, naive guy to this uh, party animal to sellout to depressed sellout to I got to make things right. (laughs) This is all over the course of basically 48 hours. I mean, the best... It's just like... He uh, has sex with uh, Anne Hish's character, and then the next night is just like making out with Ali Shawcat, like all over the place. <laughs> I mean, quite a weekend if you telling Bree he loves her. <laughs> that I found that part relatable. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I could see this happening to me. <laughs> One of the funny things that this movie does is kind of have this uh, very like. Uh, meta moment with uh isaiah whitlock uh from the wire uh <laughs> he references being a fan of the wire right there's like a and couple then of does parts. an impression of omar yeah <clears throat> announces that he does impressions of omar first um yeah and then uses it to get tim out of that party right and the whole thing it is funny seeing him play such like a straight uh guy too because uh his character on the wire is just so like <laughs> unlikable and, and over the top yeah yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I I found it funny that the part was already completely written with that stuff in it. Oh, and I know. They just happened yeah. to cast the guy right. who was in the wire. Yeah, which kind of adds a funny element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it actually, in a way, when when we saw the movie, I for the first time, I think it made those moments funnier. Right. If it would have been just anybody saying that stuff, I would have just been like, oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. It really wouldn't have meant anything right. to me, but it's kind of yeah. like that's true. I feel like it was in the trailer too, like him. Yeah, the whole part where he was like, "I do do a great Omar from the HBO series The Wire." <laughs> I love the the silly stuff during the credits. Um, they yeah. just kind of have like a funny little scene of Ron, Deansy, and uh, Tim, like. On vacate on this vacation that they talked about taking together at the end of the movie, yeah, and then they do like a commercial for this pretend. I mean, I don't know if it's pretend, but it seems like a new insurance company that the three of them have together. Maybe I don't know. Oh what's yeah, that's there. true. Yeah, but it it's kind of like the the best possible situation for a movie like this because even if this movie was super successful and they were like, well, we didn't expect this movie to make a hundred million dollars. Let's do a sequel. Inevitably, the sequel would be stupid and wouldn't right. be that funny, and it would kind of not ruin the first movie, but it just wouldn't really mean anything. Yet, at the end of this movie, you have that kind of longing for the characters to be friends, to keep this going, so they kind of like give you this little thing during the credits, like, hey, you know, these guys are friends now, they may even be going to business together. Hey, Jones in their commercial, too. Right. I love that. Yeah, like I it's know. like a nice little treat. Like, hey, yeah, they're staying friends. <laughs> um, so I think my expectation of what D and Z is supposed like is supposed to be never. I think I've watched this movie like four times now, and it's like I feel like my expectation of D and Z is like a lot worse. Like, I, it, as the movie goes on, I'm like, yeah, he. I mean, he's shitty, right? But he's not really at all. Like, I think even at the part when he's telling the story about, like, no, I didn't poach. Like, I think as I watch it going on, I feel like he's being disingenuous, but he's not. I don't know why that is. I don't know why I have this expectation that he's supposed to be, like, kind of a douche, but he's really not. He's, like, super genuine and a good dude. Yeah, I I, I don't know know what to tell you. You bought in to what Steven Root was trying to sell. The do not trust. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I was so entertained by him right off the bat that I was like, I love this guy. Right. And, you know, he, I think if the movie was purely about Dean Ziegler, then... I guess you don't expect someone to be that loud and obnoxious, but be also at the same time very very pure. (laughs) Well, like what I was going to say was if this movie was about Dean Ziegler, you would say that some of the parts were a bit clumsy and heavy-handed because they have to kind of just tell you things rather than show you. But since the movie's about Tim primarily, I think it's okay that they kind of have these uh, little bursts of exposition, you know, detailing some of Deansy's backstory, like when he's talking about uh, his 17-year-old daughter getting pregnant and how his wife fell apart because of it and yet dean was like the stand-up guy who planned her baby shower and took her to the gynecologist and all that stuff and he's the one saying it so it's kind of like uh but i mean i buy it 100 percent because the movie's not about dean we need to just be given these facts quickly to understand like hey he is a good guy. It doesn't matter that he's the one telling us these things because there's no other way to really get that information in there. He would be the only he he's obviously the only right. character that knows and that. Really a lot of credit has to go to Dean and these other two, Joan and uh the Ronimal, for how accepting they are of Tim's like <laughs> childlike behavior and just the fact that like they really go out on a limb for because it's like they really have to try a lot to include him in the beginning. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like they at some point you would just be like, "All right, fuck this guy. Let's like cut he loose stinks. and have fun." And yeah, but they like keep, you know, 
keep it going. And then obviously, you know, they drive all over rural Iowa to chase him down in some fucking well, crack party. Well, at that point, well, he was yeah, he's part the, of the they've had the big uh boxer shorts yeah. <laughs> summit. Right. <laughs> over bloody marys. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, but yeah, I I was trying to think like is it because they find the idea of taking this guy kind of under their wing, like entertaining? I don't know. Like, is there kind of like a little bit of humor in it? Not like mean spirited, but like it's just kind of funny. This guy's reaction to things. Do mm-hmm. they know how naive he is? How fast do they understand that? Right. Um, his re- they mostly like, seem confused. Well, his reaction, like some of the stuff, is fun. Like him saying that he's a non-drinker and then them like kind of peer pressuring him to drink and then he picks cream cherry <laughs> as his shot or whatever and they're like what and that stuff's kind of fun and and it could be entertaining for a weekend but then like his reaction to Joan like pinching his ass or smacking his ass or whatever yeah. and then him like going to his he's, room like, angry about it yeah that that was a little awkward but right. th- to me that might be the only moment where it kind of was like ugh yeah, like this dude. Other than that, it might be just kind of like a funny. I mean, she's thing very to sweet to him though, too. Even when, I mean, he's not the nicest to her after they. Uh, well, yeah, he calls bang. her a prostitute, right? <laughs> and I mean, he's very much acting like she's kind of a villain after that. I mean, you know, not for the rest of the movie, but yeah, in and the she's moments. very, but she's very like sweet and understanding to him. I don't know. <laughs> It's almost as if the three of them had like a conversation, like you know, yeah. this guy, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. Right. We gotta like take care of him. It's kind of <laughs> like uh, you and Bell have about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you call him a prostitute. <laughs> yeah, but I, uh, I don't think it's any big surprise since it's something that we picked to do. But I, I love this movie. I couldn't recommend it more. It's funny. It was kind of one of those things that I feel like uh, when we watched it, we kind of talked about, I think you brought it up and we talked about it a little bit, uh, a few movies, like like the idea of it being one of those that was like really small and kind of took off like Super Troopers or something, but it never really reached that cult level. Yeah. And I mean, I think that it's just evidence as to how hard that actually is to have happen because this movie, like I said, has an 86% with a lot of reviews in it. It's not an yeah, 86% it's well percent with like 10 reviews. It's like 160 reviews, 86%. So, I mean, there's a lot of critical approval. Um, it has some recognizable people in it. Right. It could have potentially been like a sleeper hit. Now, granted, it came out in like February or I mean, whatever. It's just a pretty great concept, too. Just the idea of this weekend being such a pinnacle for these people well that may also play into it the fact that like it's hard if people don't see a trailer for it right. but they just hear oh this movie's about like some people going on like a, an insurance convention weekend yeah, it's about very it's it's funny. Like regular people you know yeah i don't i don't know if it's really gonna move the meter i'm sure a lot of people just didn't even know I'm sure, like, if, if if I asked my parents or something, they probably never even heard of this movie. Yeah, I think my dad one time was like, I can't believe they made a movie about Cedar Rapids. <laughs> about Cedar yeah. It's about the history of Cedar Rapids. <laughs> yeah, and I think they chose, no offense to Cedar Rapids, but I think they chose, like, a very unglamorous place. Well, it's kind of like the idea of, like, Scranton in the office. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, well... I think with Scranton in the office, that was supposed to just be like this anonymous place. Anywhere I think with USA. this, it was intentionally right. unglamorous yeah, to, to play against like some of that idea of like they they're treating this it's like not, it's an it's insane a, yeah, bachelor like, party. Like it is a Vegas weekend. Yeah, it's like it's it's ironic that Ed Helms is in it because it's kind of like the opposite of the hangover in a lot of ways. Right. But yet the people that go to the ASMI convention are almost treating as if it as if it is a bachelor party in Las Vegas. You know what I mean? Like It's like how we treat our big New Jersey trip. <laughs> when yeah. We go to Applebee's. <laughs> or not. Yeah. Or not go. <laughs> or talk about it anyway. Or just talk about right. it anyway. Um All right, so I mean, check it out if you haven't seen it. I mean, we gave away a lot, but like with a comedy, we're not going to recreate. No. 
you know the lines of dialogue on, and try to be to funny. Yeah. So I mean, I think with a comedy, even if you listen to the podcast first, you should be able to enjoy it. And uh, hey, let us know what you think about this episode yeah. if you get a chance. And uh, <laughs> you know, we'll keep talking about doing a meetup. So. No, no. So we'll see you next time. <laughs> Peace. Yes, sir.